All right, hey, good morning, everyone. How are we? Happy New Year. My name is Stephen Coppenrath. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. Uh, if you have a Bible, go ahead and open it up to Acts chapter 10. Acts 10, or if you have your phone, you can turn that on to, to that passage. And um, hey, we have, we have a lot to do here, so let's just jump right in. There's a, um, there's a series that we were in last year, about six months ago, that we pushed pause on in the book of Acts. And so it's, it's been a while since we've been uh, back in the series, in a, a kind of an expositional series in general, and we're kind of thrust back in the middle of a story uh, that we're picking back up on in Acts chapter 10. Okay, but uh, we have our work cut out for us, but we can do this, okay? So let's, let's, uh, let's talk about kind of summarizing this a little bit. So first of all, if you don't know much about the book of Acts in general, let me just kind of help you with that. So each book of the Bible is, is written in a way to help kind of describe or push forward a certain idea. And so, for example, in the New Testament, there are the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, who all tell the story, this narrative of the birth of Jesus, the, the work that he did here on earth, his earthly ministry, his miracles, culminating with the de- his death on a cross and his uh, ascension into heaven as he was resurrected again. So that's kind of what the, the aim of the Gospels were. Now, the book of Acts, which comes right afterwards, is, is written from Luke's perspective, and it's, it's written from a, a, in a way to describe what the early church was like, how it grew, how it was formed, what were the people that were involved in the early New Testament church. And so as we look at this, this book, there's all kinds of amazing stories here of how God is growing his people in a very important time in, in their history. And so we find ourselves in Acts 10 uh, in a story about Peter and Cornelius. Now, if you recall, six months ago, when we talked about this last, uh, Cornelius was this upright uh, man. He was a Roman centurion. He was a military man, but he was a man that the Bible calls faithful. He was, he was fervent in his faith. He, he prayed. He was very much charitable to all kinds of causes. He was generous to people around him, and he was well-respected in the Jewish community. Um, for all those things, Cornelius, though, was still considered a Gentile. He was not a Jew. He was a Gentile. And so, um, but, but as we read in Acts 10, verse 4, there's a, a verse there that talks about Cornelius praying to the Lord, and the Lord seeing his prayer, and he sends an angel down to encourage Cornelius and says, look, your, your prayers are being heard. In fact, there may be some things that theologically you don't understand yet. There's, not some, there's some lingo that you haven't filled the gaps in yet. But I'm going to send somebody to you, Cornelius, who's going to help explain some of these things to you. And in many ways, Cornelius is this awesome story for those of you in this room this morning who didn't grow up in the church who didn't have this kind of awesome heritage of faith where your parents, your grandparents, and, and all these people were faithful in your family. You may not have grown up in youth groups where the, the Christian lingo was explicitly explained at, a, at a, an important time in your life. You're, you're new to all this. And Cornelius is this kind of shining example of what God wants to do in so many of our lives, regardless of our pedigree, regardless of how we grew up. And so at the same time, God is working on Cornelius, and he's revealing the truth to Cornelius. We also have the story of Peter. Peter, as you remember in Acts 10, is, is standing on this patio, this, kind of, this porch um, on the top of his roof. And he's getting ready to have lunch. And in Acts 10, God has this vision that is sent to Peter. And Peter stands there and he sees the sheet and on the sheet are all these kinds of animals and insects and birds, all these things that as a proper Jew, Peter would have nothing to do with. 
normally. And, and God says to Peter in the vision, hey, Peter, it's lunchtime. Why don't you grab something to have lunch? And Peter's like, no, I, I can't do that. This is, this is wrong. This is something that I know as a Jew, this is wrong for me to do. Uh, these, these items, these animals are unclean. And God goes back to him and says, look, don't call common what I have made clean. And God is teaching uh, Peter a, a new thing as well. There's something to be learned where Peter is starting to grow in his faith. At the same time Cornelius is being wooed to God, uh, Peter is being changed by God. And so at that moment, while Peter's having this vision, there's a knock downstairs, and he goes downstairs, and there's these three guys from the house of Cornelius who bring, uh, who, who, are, who are at Peter's house, and says, hey, would you come to Cornelius' house and explain, uh, explain what you know even further? So God is at work here. God is, is bringing these two guys together, these guys who are, are culturally and socially, and they have all these differences, all these things that are different about them um, and, and intersecting them at the same time, the same place. So that kind of brings us and catches us up. But before we jump into our passage, I want to just make sure that I set the stage for us in terms of what are we, what are we talking about here? What is, what is the story about because uh, it's important for us to understand how the context informs what the gospel does for these men. And I really think what this story is getting at, it attacking a little bit, are these lines that divide us. These barriers that we oftentimes, that I do this, and I know you probably do as well, we just think in terms of what is different about the people around us. How, how, how do they compare to me? How are they different than, than, than me? And so if, we, if you catch yourself thinking about that oftentimes, this passage is something for you. Uh, in fact, uh, November 10th, 2014, uh, Reuters, an online media source, had this interesting article, this kind of op-ed uh, piece about, about the walls um, that still divide us in our community. And it was kind of this Where Are We Now article after the 25th anniversary of the Berlin Wall falling in Germany. And so as as they kind of take all these pictures and show all these actual physical, physical walls, these things that still divide communities and countries, uh, they say this about that. Uh, from the barbed wire fence that divides our two Koreas to the fence around the Spanish enclave in Manila and the sectarian wall in Belfast, these pictures depict the most disputed, dangerous, and controversial walls that divide people and nations across the world. So some of you uh, know that last, spring, uh, last fall, um, myself and some others from, from Foothill, we went and visited Belfast, Northern Ireland, uh, to visit and support and kind of um, see this church be planted in, in Belfast. Some of our friends through the Acts 29 network, um, uh, Lucas Parks and Andrew Elder. In fact, uh, Lucas will be here next Sunday, God willing, uh, to, to share an update. Just, uh, some of you have been praying for him and his cancer and all that is going on with him. But we got to, to meet with them and, and see their family, see their church family. And while we were in Belfast, we saw this wall in kind of real life. And uh, there's a picture of it right here. This, this wall, if you guys know anything about Belfast history, Northern Ireland's history, it's a very complex and interesting history. There's, there's this, uh, this wall is called the Peace Lines, and it was uh, erected in 1969 to serve as a way to make peace between uh, the, the Irish Catholics and the Protestants that were at war at the time. And really, they'd been at war for centuries, but it started to really get crazy um, in, uh, in the 70s. And so this, this wall actually started to get larger and larger, started off just as a cement part that you see at the bottom, and then they add a little bit more and a little bit more until 1998, 
when um, the Good Friday Agreement was signed, they stopped building on the wall, they stopped using it, but they didn't tear it down. It was still kind of just there as this physical, visible reminder that there's this big thing that divides a big part of the city. And, and if you go there today, there's an Irish Catholic part of town and there's a Protestant loyalist part of town. It's still there today. And so we got to go there and see this. Our, our, our team actually uh, was there, and we heard all about the history of it, um, experienced that. And it's amazing. This wall is huge. It's really thick. It's, you can't miss it. And in fact, every night around 10, 11 p.m., there's actually one gate where you can get in and out. And that gate, it's got this huge like Jurassic Park-sized gate. Uh, it gets closed up every night, still every single day, to separate part of Belfast from another part of Belfast. And to bring this closer to home, there are things in our life all the time that we're very much aware of that separate us from the people around, around us, right? People that we work with, people that we, uh, we know at school. There's, it's like, well, that person does things differently than, than I do. Uh, when I was at home, uh, at home a couple months ago, I was having a conversation with one of my neighbors who lives right next to me. And this neighbor is incredibly friendly, a great neighbor, somebody who I would, I would love to have all kinds of neighbors like this neighbor, right? And he's somebody who knows my kids, and my kids know him, and he's always up for a friendly chat. But one time we were talking about landscaping, and, um, and it didn't take but just a second for him to kind of bring up, really in a, in a kind way, but just as like, hey, but remember... Uh, our property line, it's, uh, it starts right here and it ends over here. He, he knew, like right off the bat. He knew exactly where his property kind of met my property. Um, and, and this is a really nice guy, really nice neighbor, but he wanted to make sure that that was clear. And it's just kind of natural for us, right, to kind of know what divides us. Oftentimes we know more about what divides us than what unites us. And so as, as we consider these guys, we have Peter, this Jewish guy, this preacher, this, this guy who's been with Jesus, and then the centurion, Cornelius, they, they couldn't be any more different in many ways. And in Acts 10, we see an important story roll out because there is a wall that is about to be torn down in Acts 10 that is perhaps the most significant wall to ever be torn down in all of history because it, it impacts every single one of us this morning. And it wasn't torn down because some military commander with his army uh, broke the wall down or because laws were passed and so people had to do things differently. It was broken down, the wall between the gospel being for Jews and Gentiles. It was broken down by the love of God and the grace that he showed us through his son, Jesus Christ. That's what we're seeing in Acts 10 in, in kind of real life. And so as we look at this passage this morning, um, here's our big idea. It's very simple. The gospel is for all people. The gospel is for all people. Not just people who live in Glendora, not just people who look and think and vote the way that you do, but the gospel is for all people. And so I have five points as we just run through this passage, uh, as we look at this together. And the first thing I want you to see as the gospel is at work in Peter and in Cornelius is this, the gospel changes Peter. The gospel sanctifies Peter. The gospel grows Peter. It's at work in Peter. So let's read this in verse 24. On the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and called together his relatives and close friends. When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. But Peter lifted him up and saying, stand up. 
I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. And so when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then why you sent for me. Verse 30. And Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who is called Peter. He is lodging in the house of Simon, a tanner by the sea. And so I sent for you at once, and you have been kind enough to come. Now, therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. What we see here is a lot of things, but what I want to point out is Peter's posture, Peter's words, where Peter is at this stage of his life. The gospel is at work in Peter's life. And it started with this vision that he had a few verses ago when he realized that this sense of legalism and traditionalism and religiosity, all these things that kind of weighed him down as a rule-abiding Jew are now free from legalism. He can hang out with Gentiles. He can hang out with people that he didn't didn't used to. God was breaking down walls, and the gospel is clearly for all people. Now, this may not seem like a big deal to us because we don't really interact with those terms much anymore, Jew and Gentile. But this historically would have been a big deal. It would have been one of the, the main foundations of societal reality, that there are Jews and there are Gentiles. There's good people, there's bad people. There's clean, there's unclean. There's holy, there's unholy. This would have been an obvious kind of distinction uh, between these two groups of people. And so for Peter to show up at Cornelius' house and says this, I love kind of what he says here in this passage. Peter basically says, hey, Cornelius, God is teaching me some new stuff. God is teaching me something new. There's, there's something that I did not realize and God has revealed something that, that I need to share with you as well. That because of Jesus, this wall between you and I can be broken down. Because in light of the gospel, it's not that I'm clean and you're unclean. In fact, we're both unclean. We both have issues. It doesn't matter how you grew up or what you look like. We, we all need the gospel. And this is not a reality that Peter had dealt with before. This is something that his religious piety and the way that he had been brought up would have, would have told him otherwise. And because of that, because we're all unclean, we all need God, it also means we can all be family. All those divisions, all those things, church, that here in Glendora, in Southern California, in 2019, that divide us, we can, we can look past that and look to the gospel's work in people's lives. Do you believe that the gospel is for everybody? I mean, maybe like theoretically you do. You're like, yeah, I, I agree with that statement. But when you think about people in your life who tick you off, when you think about all the people that you just spent Christmas and New Year's with and your family, you're like, oh my gosh, I cannot spend another minute with these people. When you think about those people, when you think about all the folks who, who you interact with at work, maybe the boss that drives you nuts, all the, the, the people that God has surrounded you with in his sovereignty, and you, you, you hear that statement again that the gospel is for all people. The gospel is for people who look different than you do. 
ethnically, racially. So, I mean, this is a big deal here. Racism was a systemic issue between Jew and Gentile. For people in this time, this was a big deal, and it's still a huge issue, obviously. But if the gospel is not for everybody, then, then your brand of Christianity is simply another kind of club or association or political party that says you have to look and vote a certain way in order to be in. That's not what it's about. The gospel is for all. We are all unclean. We all need the same God. And it's not about us being comfortable with the people that are around us, right? That's not the, the goal of life, is to be comfortable. In fact, Pastor Chris says this often from, from the stage. He says, look, we as a church exist for more for the people who aren't here yet than for those who already are here. And that's kind of a, a hard statement to get our brain around because like, look to your right right now. Look to your right. Look to your left Right? You've maybe seen some of these people before. You, you've, you've served alongside them. You've sat in the similar area at church with them. You kind of know who they are a little bit. Maybe it's somebody you came with today. Well, okay, I, I get that. I, I want to love and care for those people, but you, you're saying that I need to reserve some part of friendship and, and care for somebody who is represented in these empty seats as well? People who aren't here yet? Well, yeah, that's what the Bible is saying. The Bible is saying is, is that it's not just about being comfortable with the people who are like us. We have an incredible opportunity in the next couple of weeks to live this out a little bit more explicitly. Uh, we have growth group signups coming up in just a few weeks. You'll hear all about this um, in the next few weeks. And I would encourage you guys, sign a growth group. That's where a lot of great community happens, okay? But here's what's awesome about growth groups. Um, some groups look and kind of act the same. Other groups totally don't. There are people in some of those growth groups who are completely different than you are. But you have a commonality and a desire to grow in your relationship with Jesus Christ rooted in the gospel that supersedes any difference that you may have with them. It doesn't matter if they have a different job than you or don't have kids or do have kids or what stage of life that they're in. It doesn't matter. And guys, I realize that's risky. That's, that's hard sometimes to do. Um, my wife and I were leading a growth group a couple years back, and uh, for the most part, everybody who joined the group in our stage of life were kind of similar. And uh, at the same time, on our, on our, uh, we, we accept anybody in our growth group, anybody that can come in. And so at the time, there was this, this gentleman, a little older, probably much older actually, who, who signed up for our group. He was a, a single guy who came, and I was like, hey, awesome, let's, let's, let's do this. Let's do community together. This is great. And about three weeks in, uh, I, I kind of realized that this guy has signed up for our group in order to try and sign our group leaders up to sell vitamins under his network. <laughs> that was his desire in joining the growth group. So is, is like the growth group risky? Yeah, it's kind of risky sometimes. It may not work out. It's like, so I had to have this conversation with this guy and say, hey man, like, we, we love that you're here. We want you to be here, but you can't, you can't use this as a networking platform, okay? This is not what this is for. And so, it, you know what? Sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't, but that still doesn't change the fact that we are, we are called to, to run and embrace people who are, are different than us. That's what the church is about. And to do that, it takes humility, right? Like it takes saying, like, look, I'm not the most important person. My, my desires, the things that I want to see happen, that's not the most important thing. And I, I love about these, this, this verse here, and if you look at verse 25, maybe you notice this the first time around. Peter and Cornelius just outdo each other in humility. 
Peter enters the room. Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshiped him. He's not worshiping him as a God, by the way. He's showing him reverence and respect. And Peter lifts him up and says, hey, man, I'm just a normal guy. Just like you, I'm a normal person. And, and this kind of respect for somebody who is so different than, than yourself is, is not something that is a, a known quantity in our world, right? Like, uh, people want to be seen as important. If somebody wants to, to come in the room and say, hey, hey, you guys, you guys see Stephen? He's awesome. Like, they start talking about me. I'll probably let them, let them talk for a little while, right? I'm like, mm, just, go, okay, go ahead. Like, just say, I'll probably eventually stop you, but did you have more to say? Go ahead and, and say those things. But that's just kind of natural for us to, to want to chase honor, to declare that we are, are, are good and respectworthy and all these things. Uh, LeBron James was in sports news this past week for, for a funny reason. Some of you guys know that he declared himself the greatest basketball player of all time. He declared himself the greatest basketball player of all time. Now, here's the thing. If you haven't seen LeBron play, he may be. He may be the best basketball player of all time, but it's one thing to, to be that and another thing to say that you are the greatest of all time, and especially if you have on your back tattooed chosen one, uh, you know, full on on your back. So, but here's the thing. That's, we, we, you may want to hate on LeBron for that, but that's, that's the norm. People think that way. People think about, hey, I want to cut out my piece of the respect pie and make sure that I hold on to it as much as possible but not so with Peter and Cornelius. And again, this is just another example of how Peter is changing. Peter would have never done that before. He would have probably said, you're a Gentile. You should bow. Absolutely, that makes sense. And yet he pulls him up and he says, get up, I'm a normal guy just like you. Verse 28, you see, you see that Peter says, you know yourselves how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or visit anyone of another nation, but God has shown me otherwise. That word associate is something that, um, it's a word we use often in our culture, in society. And, but in, in the original Greek language, that word associate would, would refer to something that was much more intimate and personal. Like for, for Peter to associate with Cornelius meant his reputation was on the line. And Peter's saying, I'm willing to do that. I'm willing to do that. Verse 29, it says, so when I was sent for Cornelius, I came without objection. Peter is showing that he is being grown by the good news of Jesus all, in all kinds of ways. He's saying things that he wouldn't normally say. He's showing up in places he wouldn't normally be. He's interacting with people that he's used to interacting with in a certain way, and he's, he's being changed. And he's being changed by the gospel. And so I, I just want to I want, to, I want to challenge you because I, it's one thing to read this story and say, wow, good for Peter. That's, that's good. Good on him, man. That's good. But it's another thing to realize who Peter was. Like Peter was top dog of the church. Like, like Peter was there with Jesus. He was mentored by Jesus. He was one of the apostles. He was there for all of his earthly ministry. He was a part of the, the three, Peter, James, and John, who were loved by, by Christ more than any other. Yeah, Peter was, was a miracle worker. He preached. He was all kinds of amazing things. Now, here's the thing. As I look around this room this morning, there are a lot of respectable, great people in this room. There are people who have been faithful all their lives. There have been people who have been serving the church since they were kids, and now you're older. There are some really awesome folks in this room, but I would venture to say that none of you are Peter. None of you are Peter. None of you did what Peter did. 
uh, did miracles, walked alongside Jesus. And look, here's my point. It's not to insult you. My point is to point out that if Peter can grow and learn, you can too. If Peter is humble enough to take on the posture of, look, I am learning some new things. God is teaching me new things. Then we can have that posture as well. So that's the, the first point. That was a really long one, I know. Four more to go. Here we go. Let's be a little bit faster. Number two. Number two is simple. The gospel must be preached. The gospel must be preached. Verse 34, it says this. So Peter opened his mouth and said. And I just want to point out very quickly here that Peter did not walk into Cornelius' house and say, okay, look, I want everybody who's sick to, to stand on this wall because before we get started here, I'm going to heal everybody. God's going to help me heal everybody. And, and we believe in the power of healing. Right? That's, that's important for, for us in the Christian faith. But that's not what Peter did. Peter spoke. Peter didn't walk in and say, hey, let's, let's whiteboard this. All right? Hey, uh, Cornelius, your house is now going to be this, uh, this, this soup kitchen. Right? And we're going to put the kitchen over here and the lines will be over here. Let's make sure we organize this correctly. There's nothing wrong with justice ministries. We should be involved in that. We do, as a church, support those types of ministries. But that's not what Peter does here. Peter speaks And it's important for you and I to understand that as we are being changed by the gospel, it's not enough just to let our life speak for itself. We have to, at times, speak explicitly about what God is doing in us. We have to say that out loud. And we have to speak clearly. And so this is what Peter says in verse 34. So Peter opened his mouth and said, Truly, I understand that God shows no partiality, but in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know that what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed, how God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power, he went about doing, sorry, he went, he went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. They put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who have been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him, all the prophets bear witnesses that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sin through his name. This is Peter's message. And I would, I, I would say that Peter's message is, is short. You guys would probably enjoy going to his church. It's a very short sermon. Uh, Peter's message is clear, it's complete, and it's hopeful. All those aspects of this message that Peter just explained, he explained the whole thing. Verse 38, Jesus was anointed for ministry by the Father. Verse 39, he died on a tree on Good Friday. Verse 40, he rises from the grave, which we celebrate on Easter. And in verse 43, he offers salvation to all. Peter does not, not only just does Peter speak, but he doesn't, he doesn't just throw out some kind of half platitude, nice, like God loves you and has a plan for your life. He doesn't just say that. He says the whole thing. He says, no, no, there is a God. You are accountable to him, but good news. God sent his son Jesus to atone for your shortcomings, atone for your sin. And so everybody can know him. Everyone can know him. 
You see, I, I think it's so important that Peter speaks this explicitly out loud to Cornelius. Cornelius is a guy who's picked up a lot of things from, by osmosis, right? Being around people uh, that are religious, being around Jews perhaps, being around hearing about Jesus. But he hears for the first time perhaps the explicit gospel from Peter. Now, how does this apply to you and me? Now, you may be thinking, okay, that's great for you, Stephen. You're standing on a stage preaching. So the gospel must be preached. Check for you, 10 points for you, whatever. But here's the thing. This applies to all of us. And I love that it's Peter in 1 Peter 3.15, if you know the verse, that Peter exhorts the church in his own book of the Bible and says, it's, it's on all of us. We all have to be prepared to give an answer, give a reason for the hope that we have. He doesn't say you have to all preach and, and, and stand on the side of a street or, or push me off stage and finish my sermon for me. He's not saying that. He's saying you need to just think about what has God done in your life? And when someone asks, why are you a Christian? Why do you live differently? Well, why are you doing this when everybody else is doing that? Then you have a reason to give. And so we have to say those things out loud. Uh, Foothill 201, we heard about Foothill 101 earlier. That is what we try and do in that class. And if you guys haven't taken that class yet, I would encourage you to, to learn more about how we articulate our salvation story, how we articulate the gospel in our own words, how God saved us, how God rescued us. Okay? All right, point three. The gospel saves Cornelius. The gospel saves Cornelius. Verse 44. So the sermon has been, has been said out loud. Uh, and verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. So praise God, there's this miracle that happens. And the Holy Spirit falls. Now, Cornelius hears this message. He takes it to heart. He becomes a Christian. It's amazing. Now, Let's get into, just for a minute, how and why does this need to happen for Cornelius? Uh, if you've been following along, you realize Cornelius is not a bad person, right? He's, he's actually a good person. Uh, Luke goes to great lengths to explain that he has good standing in the Jewish community. He prays, he's charitable, he gives. He's a good person. And so why does Cornelius need to be saved? He's already doing good things. Well, if you remember John chapter 3, there's a story about Nicodemus that parallels the story of Cornelius. And we realize from the story of Nicodemus that, that God came to save the immoral, but he also came to save the moral. That it doesn't matter what we do or what we don't do, it matters what Jesus has done for us. And if that's true, then we not only need to repent of the sins, the bad things, the evil things that the world and everybody else would say is sinful, we also need to repent of any life that is lived outside of God's will and plan. Even the good stuff. Because that good stuff, as you know, Christian, as I know, it festers into this seed of self-righteousness. You're like, wow, I, I did that on my own. And that is sin too. And so that is what Cornelius is being saved of. It's not, it's not what we do. It's any life apart from God. It's not our acts. It's not our works. In fact, Paul in Philippians 3.8 will say that our, our good isn't good enough. It's rubbish. It's trash. Let me tell you a story real quickly about, about this. This isn't a true story. This is just an example, okay? So, so let's say next Saturday I am... I'm outside at my house. I'm, I'm doing uh, landscaping. I'm mowing my lawn, let's say. 
right, which I never mow my lawn, but uh, let's say I'm doing that. It's a story. So uh, I'm out there mowing my lawn, and so, uh, my family's inside. They're, they're watching a movie or doing something else, and um, a man gets dropped off on my curb, and, and he says, hey, um, I don't know you at all, but I need a place to stay for a month. Now, hear me out. I am a convicted felon. I am a bit of a klepto. I steal things all the time. Uh, in fact, when you're asleep tonight, if you let me sit at your house, I will probably rummage through your things, and I will steal things, and I will probably, you know, sell your TV on Craigslist. I'll do all these things. I just want to let you know up front who I am, but I need a place to stay. So what do I do? Well, I'd probably say, no, you cannot stay with me and my family in our house. Uh, you know, good luck with that. Maybe I, I don't know what I'd do, but I'd probably say something to that effect. And so I go back to, you know, manicuring my, my lawn and, and, and mowing my lawn and all that stuff, and another person gets dropped off. And I'm like, what is going on? Why, why are all these people being dropped off at my house? And there's another guy who says, I also need a place to stay. Uh, I need a place to stay for a month. I got kicked out of my, my apartment. And uh, look, though, I'm a good person. I, I pay my taxes every year. Uh, I'll actually help you with your lawn if you want. I can, I can do dishes. I'm a great chef. I can help inside if you want. Uh, but I need a place to stay. Now, here's the thing. I may like him a little bit more. Uh, I, I may not be as creeped out by him, right, because he, he seems like a nice guy. But the, the, the truth is, is I still don't know him. And so I'm going to say, no, you cannot stay with my family either. Because it, it takes an insider to bring an outsider in, right? Like there has to be somebody that knows one of those guys. And so let's say I'm talking to that last guy, my son Owen, while I'm saying no to this last gentleman, my son Owen, who's eight years old, says, hey, Mr. Smith, how's it going? I'm like, oh, I guess you guys know each other? And Owen's like, yeah, like this is Mr. Smith. He's my classmate's dad. He's, he, uh, he's, all, he's at school all the time volunteering. Um, he, he helps out a lot. I see him all the time all over campus. He's a really nice guy. And my son Owen vouches for him, right? And that changes things a little bit because now he's not an unknown to me. He's somebody that I can, like, okay, well, hey, Mr. Smith, come on in. Let's have some coffee. Let's hang out. Let's talk. And, and the same is true for us spiritually. We need, as outsiders, an insider to bring us in. And, and the point of what I'm getting at here is that all of us need an advocate, we all need somebody to vouch for us because it doesn't matter if you're good, like the first guy who needed a place to stay, or if you're, I'm sorry, bad, or if you're good. It doesn't matter what you do. In fact, uh, 1 John 4.1 speaks to this and our advocate. It says, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And so whether we have Bad deeds or good deeds, it doesn't matter. We all need Jesus. Jesus was the consummate insider. Jesus was the one who says, no, look, Father, I, I vouch for him. I vouch for her. Because when I died, my blood, it covered his or her sins. And so now we can have a relationship with the Father. It's nothing to do with what we do or don't do. It has to do with what Jesus has done for us. And because of that, Peter, who had good theology, and Cornelius, who had good works, they both still needed the gospel. They both needed the gospel to change. Peter in sanctification, in a changing and becoming more and more like Christ, and Cornelius in regeneration of the heart and conversion 
And they both needed the same thing. And this is true for us as well. We need Jesus. Like I said before, some of you have been at it for years in your faith. Years. And you still need the gospel to impact you and change you and grow you. Last two points. Number four, the gospel produces fruit. The gospel produces fruit. So we read in verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter, so Peter had brought his crew, his guys, his, his Jewish friends, they were all amazed because of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that were poured out even on the Gentiles, for they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. There is visible and actual fruit when a person comes from, from death to life in Christ. There is something new that happens because of the Holy Spirit at work. And, and, and it's, it's seen through the speaking of tongues. It's seen through, through the Holy Spirit falling in that room. There is fruit. Now, some of you know this kind of vocabulary because you've read Galatians 5 before, where Paul talks about the fruits of the Holy Spirit. In other words, when we, when we become a Christian, we don't just continue to live our lives the same way that we always have. We now have these, these things that come from us. We are more loving. We're more gentle with people. We're more selfless with people because of what Christ has done in us. The Bible says that we are all like trees and we produce fruit, bad fruit or good fruit. And depending on what kind of fruit you produce, that's the kind of tree you are. And this is what is happening here in Acts 10 as well. Last point, number five, is this. The gospel calls for a response. The gospel calls for a response. Verse 47, Peter declares, Can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. Peter says, uh, in light of all of what's happening right now, is there any reason, can anybody say anything against why these guys are not obviously Christians? They are. They're Christians. They're, the Holy Spirit's here. They have, it's clear that, that something has happened um, because of the preached word of God. And so there is this call to baptism. And so I just want to pause here and say, hey, look, part of one of the first things we do is as a Christian, as a new believer, is to be baptized. And we do that not so that we can be saved. That has nothing to do with salvation. We get baptized as the first step of obedience as a Christian. And it's a way of us aligning ourselves with our, our Savior, Jesus, who was also baptized by his cousin John in the river. And we say, this is, this is a symbolic of my new life in Christ. As I'm immersed in water, I come back up, and I'm not saved at that moment. That's not salvific in that moment, but it's a symbol of what God has done in my heart already. And so for some of you this morning, as you consider point five, as you consider how the gospel is calling for a response, it demands a response, what will your response be to the gospel? Some of you have heard this message for years. Some of you are hearing it for the first time today, but there must be a response. It's either apathy or rejection, or perhaps it's embracing a new life in Christ. I hope that it's perhaps linear, like it was for Cornelius and his family. Like, it's just, hey, I guess we should get baptized. Let's do that. And so they do. And if you need to get baptized, there's, we, we'd love to help you with that. We, we, we love baptisms around here at Foothill, and we'd love to celebrate that with you. But in a much more general way, in 
at the same time, much more specifically for you and your life, how, how is God calling you to respond to what you've heard today? Perhaps the answer is in verse 36, if you look back, and I'll end with this. Peter slips in this truth to Cornelius in his sermon, and he says, look, just in case you are wondering, Jesus was not just this good man, this good prophet, this miracle worker. No, he is Lord of all. That's who Jesus is. And what I love about the way that Peter, Peter says that is he doesn't leave any room for any kind of uh, misunderstanding. And so whether or not, church, today, for you, and for Cornelius back hearing it, whether or not we are living in a way that reflects that Jesus is Lord over our life or not, it does not change the reality that he is in fact Lord. Jesus is Lord of all. He is sovereign over all. He is, he is all-powerful. He knows the, the, the past and the future. And as he is calling you this morning, maybe some of you are, are, are new to the faith or not Christians at all, and he is calling you, he's beckoning you to, to respond in faith. Maybe some of you have been around the block and you're kind of st- stuck in your ways. And you're like, oh, I've, I've kind of been there and done that. But God would say, no, I, I have something else to teach you, the same way I taught Peter. How will you respond? The gospel does all these things. He changes Peter. He saves Cornelius. The gospel must be preached. The gospel produces fruit. But the gospel demands a response from us. So what will be your response this morning? Let's bow our heads together. God, I, I thank you so much that we have a great high priest, an advocate in your son, Jesus Christ. God, I thank you that you've given us confidence to have faith in who you are. And Lord, I I pray that as we consider all the things that you are teaching us, all the things that you have taught us, the ways that you are encouraging us this morning, God, that we would respond in like, that we would respond in a way that declares you are Lord not only over generally the world, but you're Lord over my life. You're Lord over my marriage. You're Lord over my my parenting, the way that I parent my kids. You're Lord over all the details, all the things that uh, I choose to be about, over my work, over my my education. God, you are Lord over all those things. God, I, I pray that that would be true of us here at Foothill. God, we love you. We thank you for your son and pray this in your name. Amen.